welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner. I believe in the power of sharing our experiences and knowledge with others, and when we do, we are creating ripples of impact around us. Each week, get ready for intimate personal shares, honest, relatable conversations, aha moments, and so much more. This space was designed to create empowerment, inspiration, community, and provide guidance to elevate those around us. I am so excited to have you here. Get ready and let's start creating ripples. Hello and welcome to the Creating Ripples podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Zahner, and today's guest is Carissa Bates, who I had the opportunity to get connected with through my sister, and I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today. Carissa came to my event that I hosted with Nikki for the Creating Ripples community two months ago, and I got to hear her story for the first time, and it was really impactful, and I'm really I keep saying really, but I am very excited for you all to hear her story and to feel inspired. And maybe you'll learn from her situation or you'll learn how to support those around you that have been where she's been. And so Carissa, welcome to the podcast today. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. I would love for you to start things off by just sharing your story with the listeners. Um, okay. So um, two years ago, and a half years ago when I was 33 um I found a lump and uh, at my age it could be anything I was two years out from having a daughter so they thought I had a clogged milk duct and I went into uh, the midwife uh, my midwife I knew I should probably go in if I felt something that felt off so I went in and uh, she told me it was probably a clogged milk duct and then uh, she's wanted to rule out anything so she scheduled an ultrasound for me and I, and she came back into the room and said, uh, um, they're making us have you do a mammogram. And she said, I don't know why they do that because you're under 40, but they're making us do that. And I thought, okay, whatever, you know, protocol. Um, so she scheduled it and I didn't do it right away. I waited till the end of the week to do all my tests and, uh, my husband took off work. So I was kind of alone. And I'm normally I have my kids were two, five and seven at that time. And things were chaotic. So going to the clinic alone, I was joking with the mammogram tech, I felt like I was on vacation, it was so quiet. Um, they had pretty music playing, and they brought me chocolate. And it was just kind of like, Oh, you know, whatever, another day, but a little bit of quiet time. And so I got to the clinic and had the mammogram. And then I sat in a room for a while and that's when they brought me the chocolate, which I thought was a little odd, but you know, thought they were just nice people. They, whatever, they were just nice people. And then uh, she came and then I had the ultrasound and the ultrasound tech checked out um, where my lump was on my breast and uh, I could see it on the screen and it was a circle with like, um, the circle wasn't um, symmetrical. It had little branches coming off of it. And she like pointed it out and I looked at it and then she said, oh, I'm going to go run the results by with the radiologist. And he came in and he looked at it and he's like, we should do a biopsy. And I was like, okay, whatever. My friend had had this done before. And I just assumed standard procedure. And then the, um, the ultrasound tech said, are you going to call your husband? And I thought that was really strange. I, um, I, found that super strange I was like why would I call my husband like this is all routine no I didn't call my husband and then she left and they and then she came back in and asked me did you call your husband and then I thought well maybe I should and I wasn't quite sure exactly why she was saying that and she left the room and I called my husband Matt and then it hit me and I like broke down and said I think they think I have cancer and we both were, we both didn't know what to say. And I was crying because they kind of like, the reality hit me at that point. And we got off the phone and I like cleaned myself up and put on a brave face when the ultrasound, ultrasound tech and the radiologist came in. And while he was doing the biopsy, I kept asking him, I kept saying, does it look good? And he says, it doesn't, he says, 
I kept saying, it doesn't look bad. And then he kept saying, it doesn't look good. But he never said the word cancer. So I didn't, I was kind of, I needed, I was looking for him to tell me things were probably okay, but he didn't say that. And I asked like three times. So they got the biopsies and then I went home and I didn't really know how to process um, because you don't like that news. Like when someone thinks you have cancer, it's like really hard to process, but at the same time, nothing was confirmed. So I wasn't really sure how to feel. And I didn't want to like alarm people. My sisters knew I was having a mammogram and a biopsy and I didn't want to overwhelm people. But at the same time, like, I feel like we go into the clinic. Some people go into the clinic often and we become alarmed and I didn't want to alarm anyone because I'm going into the clinic again for something that's most likely nothing. But later in the day, my chart, um, my online, my chart for the clinic uh, popped up and uh, I read through the chart and I kept looking and the last line said highly suspicious for cancer. And it was on a Friday, keep in mind. So I screenshotted it and sent it to all my like medical friends, like a few close friends, I shouldn't say all of them, but like two or three friends. And I mean, they had no, what are they going to say? Like, it says highly suspicious for cancer. Like, that's pretty straightforward. I was hoping they were going to tell me it was just protocol, but they knew and I knew it wasn't protocol. Um, so I read through my, my chart message, I don't know, like 20 times. And then I decided something bad might be going on. I need to go do something with my kids. Like I have to go do it now. But really, I was like in no place emotionally to go do anything. So I went to my parents' cabin and they met me there. And one of my sisters, I can't remember which one, I think my youngest sister met me there. And she, so we're all just kind of talking, but no one really knows what to say. Because what do you say when, you know, there's test results looming over you? And I remember distinctly my dad's, I asking, what are we going to do? Because it was, kind of at the beginning of summer. So like the boat wasn't out and, and I said, I don't know, what are we going to do? And he's like, this weekend is about you, you decide. And then I had, and then I said, because I have no filter, I asked him because you think I'm going to die. He's like, no, no, no. It's like, well, I kind of felt that way. Cause why is it about me? Like, unless you think something bad is I'm going to get bad results. And, um, and then the rest of it was a blur. And I, didn't really talk about really my fears or anything with my family because I didn't want to alarm them. But I had called my husband on the way home and I just sobbed. Like I probably, I just cried and was worried. And I was telling him, I don't want my kids to grow up without a mother. And I'm worried about the kids. And I was just all my fears. And my kids were all on like iPads and the like DVD my two-year-old and five-year-old weren't listening, but my seven-year-old is pretty receptive. And he was two seats back. And after I got off the phone, he asked me, mom, I heard you talking about cancer. Do you have cancer? And at that point, I didn't know if I did. And I said, no, I don't No, No one's told me that. Like, that wasn't a lie. I, but I really shouldn't have been talking about it in front of him, but I didn't want to. Um, I was so emotional that I didn't really filter myself. And um. So anyways, fast forward. So Monday came, I checked my chart like 5,000 times, no results. Tuesday came and my friend came up and she sat with me. But what do you say to someone when they're waiting for cancer results? I mean, our kids were playing, but there was like, there's nothing. What do you say? There's like, oh, I hope you don't have cancer. I mean, there's nothing to say. So the doc, I, my chart popped up on my phone. And I saw I had results, but they don't release you results. And sometimes they don't release them right away to you. So I called the midwife and she was with a patient and they're like, she'll just call you back. And I was like, no, I'm going to wait. I'll wait till she's done with her patients. I don't care how long I'm on the phone for. So I waited, I don't know, 20 minutes. And she came to the phone and she was reading the results to me and she didn't, and she was reading the results. She hadn't looked at them yet in the chart. And she read through it and she says, it says you have triple negative breast cancer and then a bunch of other stuff. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she goes, well, I don't normally read results like that. And in my mind that meant like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna die because this medical professional doesn't read results like that. So uh, 
um, I gave the phone to my friend and she listened to the, re the results. And then we hung up and then we just sat in silence because what do you say? So that's kind of the beginning of my story. Um, I have a lot of questions. I'm sure you do. Yeah, so, sorry. No, that was great. And like, I'm emotional because like, I'm just like thinking about what that was like going through your head and like waiting on results and then like seeing something but not really having answers and trying mm -hmm. to like think, but like, what if, but you don't know what the results are yet. So there's like all these things like looming in your head as you're trying to spend this weekend with your kids, keep your mind a little busy, but it's always like in the back there. And mm -hmm. I'm curious for you, as you were talking about like, you know, when you called your husband and you're voicing your worries and your fears, as you're starting to think about, you know, well, what, like, it's impossible, I'm sure, to not start to think about that stuff. Mm -hmm. But how do you, or what would you tell someone that was in that situation? Like, when you don't have the results, like, what do you wish someone would have said to you in that moment as you're like waiting? So, um, so after, while I was in the moment, I would call it kind of, I always call it kind of the shock, like you're in shock for the first, for the, before you get results. And then after you get results, if you're, if you're waiting for them and the unknown is almost always worse than the known. And I've had so many health issues come up and not knowing what is coming is almost is it's emotionally how do I say it it's very not knowing what is coming normally eats you inside more than actually knowing what's coming because or finding out what came because I felt like once I got the information I could actually do something about it so sitting in the moment of unknown and not knowing like not knowing if I had cancer and not knowing what that meant or even finding out when I did find out I had cancer, not knowing what that meant. The unknown was so much worse than the known. And the knowns weren't always great. Let me tell you, the knowns weren't always great, but the worry and what I made up in my head was worse always than what the outcome was. And like for chemo. So when I met with my doc, my oncologist for the first time, and he's going over chemo, um, Everyone I've ever known that had been diagnosed with cancer prior, like while I was um, prior to my cancer diagnosis. So if they got diagnosed while I knew them, and there was a good amount of people, but the people I knew that got diagnosed, that got diagnosed while I knew them, they all died, which is like horrible. And um, starting with my best friend in high school who got diagnosed with leukemia, she fought for a year and a half, I think. And, um, her body just couldn't handle it anymore. And her body, um, she passed away when I was in college and that was kind of the beginning of, and I didn't realize what cancer was then. Like I knew it was bad. I didn't realize, I didn't realize what she was going through. Like I had no idea. I heard chemo. I heard this and that, but I never really knew what she was going through. Um, so anyways, in my mind, the chemotherapy was going to kill me. I was convinced I'm going to get this drug and I know what people on chemotherapy look like and what they, like, I didn't know what, I didn't really know what they were going through, but I assumed that's what made them sick because I felt healthy. I felt healthy. So, um, like I would say the unknown is always worse than the known because obviously they don't give you chemotherapy if they think you're going to die from it. They're doing it to keep you alive. So, duh. I mean, everyone knows that, but in my mind, worst case scenario. Um, and also the worst thing to do is to Google because I've found out that from professionals that Google is normally two years behind on statistics and treatments sometimes with the technology the way it is, sometimes the new... Um, treatments are out there, but 
the statistics are typically survival rates are two years out. So they're not in, and we're not statistics. So that's something that we have to remember because my situation is not, may not be the average situation because I have a lot of different factors to um, play in. So those are my two, my, those are my two things. The unknown is worse than the known typically. And well, don't Google. Dr. Google is not good for anyone, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> I have one thing about that. I worked for a sports med doctor and people would always come in with like their self-diagnoses of like, well, I looked at Google. I'm pretty sure I have a rotator cuff tear. And we'd be like, actually you don't and like they'd be like I want an MRI <laughs> and it's like that's gonna cost you a lot of money for something you don't need and so yeah. definitely agree with that and then there there was just like what I think is helpful as a reminder for anybody in life the unknowns and like the false narrative and false stories that we create for ourselves obviously within mm -hmm. your situation it's a it's a different it's a medical situation that you're navigating, but even in like any challenging life situation that we're going through, I find if we start to imagine what could happen or what will be, or the what if it's always way worse than what actually the outcome is. And we never know what the future mm -hmm. is going to bring. Like we only have the present. So the more, sorry, my nose is like running crazy today. The more we can focus on the now and what we can control now versus like you were saying it's sitting in that moment and what we know and trying to release the unknown because it doesn't do us any good to like sit with that we start to go crazy when we're trying to imagine all of these different scenarios and then I loved what you said of like we're not a statistic I think that's a really great reminder that we are each our own human being on this earth. Nobody is the same as us and we can't compare our story to anybody else's, whatever it is in life. Every bit of who we are is completely different than the people around us. And so no matter what life situation you're in reminding yourself, like you're not a statistic, what some, someone else mm -hmm. could have been on the exact same path as us, but who they are is completely different and reminding ourselves of that, but it's easier said than done. And I'm sure like now you're able to see that, but when you're in something, it's a lot harder to look beyond what is right in front of us. And what I found was after I, so it was a month of shock before I started chemo, like doctor and after appointment, um, and so much information. And what I found was that when I started chemo and I got really sick, like that's like, I got very sick. We, they give something for people that have triple negative breast cancer, which is what I have. There's no um, hormones involved, which is what typical 90% of breast cancers have a hormone involved. And people typically are older, obviously, and in their sixties and uh, have a lumpectomy or mastectomy, and then their treatment is done and they're deemed cancer-free. So for triple negative, there's no targeted therapy. They don't know what causes triple negative and they don't know exactly how to treat it. So they give you, it's called adromycin and um, cytoxin, a combination of two chemos in the beginning, but the adromycin is um, coined red devil. It's one of the harsh, most aggressive chemos on, um, that they have available. It's very old. I think I looked it up and it was like 40 years old. It's been used for a long time and it essentially um, bombs your body. Like it attacks your good cells. It doesn't discriminate between cancer. It just attacks your whole body. So it makes you really sick because it gets your good cells too. All chemo gets your good cells, but this one is just super harsh. And for triple negative, since it's very aggressive, they give you dose dense um, adromycin in the beginning and, um, you kind of hit your life capacity. Like you can only have this chemo, like the four times dose dense, like I won't be able to have it again if I had cancer back because it's just so harsh on your body. Um, but what I kind of found is when, um, 
like talking about the unknowns is when I started chemo and I was super sick, I couldn't, I mentally couldn't look to the next day and worry about the next day because I was so sick and so tired. Like the fatigue is nothing, nothing you can explain. Like, like sitting in the moment and not being able to know if sitting up is going to cause me to, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, the tiredness is just like super intense and um, I couldn't worry about what was going to happen tomorrow because all I could focus on was the moment and I um, tried to, at first it was, um, I was going to conquer cancer. Like that was like, I need a mantra. Like I need something as my mantra. And then um, it kind of morphed into make each day ridiculously amazing in the best way I could. And then I realized um, that it was more like creating joy. So each day I would look for it and it would be so simple. It'd be like my kids running in the hallway and giggling and I'd be laying in bed and I'd be like, oh, that's so nice to actually hear their giggles. Like, I'm so glad I can hear them even though I can't be running with them or I can't be playing with them or, um, them coming in to give me a hug or ask me how I'm doing and just being able to cherish those little moments because I, I couldn't worry about the next day because this day had so many worries of its own. And it was, it was like, I hope I never forget the lessons because I can, it's easy to get back into some of these um, old habits where I'm not cherishing the moments as much as I should be. And uh, um, like an example, as my kids were having like a horrible time. They were like tantruming about something. I can't remember which one, but I remember thinking in the moment, at least I'm here to experience these tantrums. They're not fun. I wouldn't call it joyful experiencing my kids fighting um, and not listening to me, but I was thankful that I was able to experience their life, their life, even though it might not be fun to experience them fighting or tantruming or being defiant, but I was just so happy to be able to experience it. So those are the lessons that sometimes I get out of the habit of remembering. Um, but it was, it was weird. It was like a nice cancer was not nice at all, but it was like a nice refreshing. I don't know if wake up is the right word, but it was a different time to slow down. I didn't like my sisters and I, after chemo, once we went shopping at Old Navy, because they're from a really small town and stores are 45 minutes from their house. So they're like, look, we can go to the, like, Old Navy, <laughs> like, because they grew, we grew up in a town of a thousand. And um, I think my sister, my one sister lives in an unincorporated <laughs> town. I can't remember, but um, so they don't even have a population, but um, so they were like super excited. And I remember looking around and thinking, what is the point of buying an outfit? Like I couldn't think that far ahead for where, when I would wear an outfit, like a new outfit. And I didn't say that because it's, it's fun to go shopping. I get that. But I just remember thinking like, I can't even look that far in front of my, in front of me, because I don't know what that, I don't know what, if I'll have those days in front of me at that point. So I don't know, that's a long-winded answer, but. Well, I loved what you were talking about of just the different things that you learned in those moments of creating joy and cherishing the moments and like letting yourself just experience life mm -hmm. even in the moments that might not be the beautiful ones the tantrums and things but that's mm -hmm. real life right we all have things that aren't easy. It's not fun to watch our kids fight, but at the same time, like you being able to have that mindset shift and like, see like, okay, but what is beautiful about this is me being here with them. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you were talking, like, you want to remember the lessons. What other lessons have you been taught through this experience? So I think one of the biggest ones is, um, besides kind of slowing down and just kind of appreciating and not wanting more and not thinking about the net, like, it's good to think about the next big thing. I think that's what life is. It's great about life is thinking about those next big things, but also appreciating like the present. Um, the other thing is 
And I know it's not always true for everyone, but um, I was surrounded by so many caring people. Your sister, um, super, super nice. I um, was just thinking about a situation where our babysitter would be at our house from, I think like eight in the morning to four o'clock. She'd leave at four o'clock and my husband wouldn't be done with work until six o'clock. And I had so much anxiety because the steroid, I was taking steroids so my body went um, fully be upset about the chemo and what it was doing to my body. So they gave me a whole bunch of steroids and it'd make me so discontent that sitting alone with my kids for two hours, even though they could have watched TV or played a video game, probably maybe not my two-year-old, but I got so anxious about the thought of being alone without the babysitter at the house or my husband able to help. I'm trying to think, I think at that point he was still going into work every once in a while. Um, I had people come and sit with me on certain days that my parents weren't visiting or helpers weren't visiting from four to six. I think it was four to six. I can't quite remember. It might've been two to four. I can't, I think it might've been two to four, but anyways, your sister came and sat with me and what a weird request. Hey, can you come sit with me? Like, I'm going to be alone. Like, cause what can we do for you? And I got it out of the habit of saying nothing because I needed things. And I don't know, I'm pretty open. And she like, I think more than once she came and sat with me for two hours. And it's like, just having someone sit with me was like so helpful. And um, people didn't. So anyways, what I was going where I was going with this is like, people like stepped up and just like helped us like they fed us for a year like they brought meals to us for two to three times a week for an entire year and that bit of normalcy and someone just willing to make a meal and drop it off or buy a pizza and drop it off so my husband didn't have to worry about that since he had to be mom and dad was very helpful because the stress I'm sure for him was super high but we had we sat down every night and ate and I didn't always eat because I was nauseous, but, or not hungry, but I got to sit at the table and that's really important for us. Dinner time is really important for us. It's our only, I don't know what the word is very, um, it's the only time that we a hundred percent make sure happens every day. And that we have, um, the good family connection during that time. Um, so just everyone that helped and, um, that was one of those lessons. And the other lesson was about, um, another lesson was just about allowing, um, people got kind of, they didn't know what to say to me, which I get, I don't think I would have known what to say to someone with cancer. Like, Oh, that's really bad. Like, Ooh, that's really bad. You have cancer. I have no idea what to say to you. Like, like I wouldn't have known what to say, but I found like, you don't really have to say anything besides like that sucks. I'm sorry. Like there's nothing that can be said that's going to change it, but just saying those words were like all I needed or a message like thinking of you, but also at the same time, the people that were praying and thinking of me that didn't say anything because they were uncomfortable. That was totally fine for me too. Like everyone, I knew everyone had a good heart, like a friend. I saw someone that I'd went to high school with that I haven't seen in years, keep in mind. And it was while I was on chemo and she had come over and talked to me when I was visiting my grandma and, or my grandma's house, I think I was stopping at my grandma's house, might've been visiting. I can't remember, but she stopped and saw me when I was visiting my hometown and said, I'm so sorry. I didn't, she was like apologizing. I'm so sorry. I didn't send a message to you. I didn't know what to say. And that was totally fine. Like, I know people were thinking of me and I know I've been in the situation where I don't know what to say during an uncomfortable situation because like I didn't have hair and obviously I was in pain and I'm tired. I look just, I just look tired. So I get it. So I knew another lesson that I got out of it was that I knew everyone had a good heart, like whether they did something or not, I just knew people were thinking to me and it really meant a lot during that time. Cause I just needed that positive energy to keep my energy positive. So those were some good, those were good lessons that I know will stick with us we sometimes think we have to do this big grandiose thing, a challenging situation or a situation that we can't relate to or haven't been there. And we find ourselves like in this paralysis of like, I can't even fathom what they're going through. What do I even say? Like, 
I personally can speak from that situation of having yeah. family or friends that have been in a situation I can't relate to. And I'm like, what do I say right now? How do I support them? And it's such a good reminder of just like thinking of you, praying for you, checking in, how are you doing? And one thing I've learned is when you ask, like, what can I do? Chances are the person's going to say nothing. So don't even ask, just do what it is that you want to do because they're going to say, I mean, even like for me, postpartum, people be like, what can I do? And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. But in the back of my head, I'm like, actually, like, it'd be really nice if you just brought over something to eat or, Mm -hmm. but I think it's just, we should just think about like, well, that was me. How would I want to be supported and just do that? And like you were saying, Carissa, like people mean well. And I, I, I just think it's a good reminder of just lend that helping hand out and check in with your people. Someone that is perhaps in a similar situation or Carissa's been, or just even friends and family can never hurt to check in on your people. Right. And that's something I tell, cause people ask me often and it's totally fine, but they'll have a friend, a friend or family member diagnosed with cancer. And they always say like, what can I do? Or what should I get them? And, you know, I have like a list of things but one of the biggest things is don't ask them what, what they need. Or don't be like, do you need a meal? Or do you need someone to come take your children for a couple hours? Say, Hey, I have five to seven open. I'm going to come get your kids. If that's all right with you, like, you know, checking to make sure it's okay. But that specific, having a specific thing, like, Hey, I picked up extra um, lasagna at the store. Can I drop it off tonight at six? Is that fine? You know, those specific things. It was much easier for me to not feel like a burden when someone was like, hey, like I have this available. Um, And the biggest thing for me was like my kids, like I worried about my kids all the time. And um, I worried about them not getting enough friend time or enough attention or everything. So when someone did something for my kids, like someone brought, sent a whole bunch of art supplies and they were like, like, I don't know, Dollar Tree, like supplies, like it wasn't like this huge gesture, but it was them thinking of my kids and giving my kids something to do that was quiet was like super, it, like that was, that got me every time. I mean, I cried all the time. I was so thankful. I would cry all the time about things, but a hundred percent, if someone did something for my kids, I would just like, that was like, that was a puddle. Like, oh my gosh, thank you. You're taking care of the people I'm so worried about. Like, and my kids have come out extremely resilient. It's amazing. All the worries I had. I say not to worry in the moment, like to put your worries aside. I did that with everything but my children. And uh, all these worries I had are actually some, you know, some, they have some trauma from, obviously they have trauma from my diagnosis and what I went through. Maybe not my two-year-old as much, but they've come out so strong and with such a different perspective on life and empathy and um, everything I was worried about them missing out on life. They actually gained a lot of experience. So I think that's like super, it's super amazing to see now. So once you were diagnosed and then you began chemo, what was that experience like for you? So um, my friend, so I've met a lot of cancer friends, like I have a lot of cancer friends now, but I had met someone that lived um, like a five minute drive from my house that had triple negative as well. And she was on her last chemo and she, she was actually a ray of sunshine. She opens the door. She has no hair on and I was, or she has no hair on. (laughs) She has no hat on. She has no hair. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's so bold. She doesn't have a hat on or anything. And she opens the door and her little girl was playing and she gave me like a lot of um, advice, but she told me this and it was so true. So she thought, she said, well, I'm going to tell you what chemo is like, because I was asking. And she said, imagine that you went out drinking the entire night, like the most alcohol you've ever drank your entire life. And the feeling that you have waking up the next day, but that feeling doesn't go away. And it was, um, and it was kind of that feeling like being in a haze, like all the time. And even further, the feeling of being on chemo was 
like that feeling, that hazy feeling, but also having it like you haven't slept for four days. So that was kind of like the feeling. It's hard to explain, but um, that was like the biggest feeling about chemo. It was not not a pleasant feeling, obviously. And um, I don't know. I liked chemo days. Chemo, it sounds really bad, like weird, but I liked chemo days because I was so lucky that I had, so I have 12 rounds of chemo for my IV chemo. And I had new people visit me each time I had chemo. So it was like this, like when you have kids, you don't go and connect with your friends like often or certain people you just don't see very often. And they'd come and sit with me and we'd laugh in the chemo room. And it was just like, so refreshing to slow down and actually get to see people. So, I mean, there's a lot of bad things to remember about chemo, all the ER visits and pneumonia and throwing up. It's it's going back to what you're talking about though, of like that creating the joy of Mm -hmm. you could see it as something totally opposite or you can see it as okay that was kind of a bright spot for me during this journey where I got to slow down and be with some people and have conversation and interact and so it's going back to that mindset of like finding joy in an otherwise situation that might not have a lot of sunshine throughout the journey and I and what you're saying is I kind of feel and kind of, it's like coming to me right now. Like I've never really thought of it this way, but like cancer, like sucks. Like it's a horrible, you just feel horrible the whole time and times were really hard. But I think since I was able to focus on looking for joy and looking for just things just to get me through, like it's the only way I could get through the day, even though when the day was horrible, 90% of the time I was looking for those little things and reflecting back I have trauma and I remember the bad things, but the good things shine through so much more because I was like actively looking for it. Like it was like such a intentional thing. And that's what I tried to focus on. And I couldn't always, I'm not going to tell you, I, I'm like this, hor- this extremely happy person. And I was so happy when I was on can- had cancer and on chemo because that wasn't the case. I had a lot of breakdowns. I had a ton of breakdowns and a lot of, um, a lot of illness. But reflecting back, I'm able to see a lot of the good stuff, which, um, which is nice because my, my kids are able to do that a little bit too. Um, cause I was talking to my son cause we wrote a children's book, which is super cute, um, about our cancer. And he goes, you didn't have cancer that bad. And I was like a little offended. I was like, like a little offended. I was like, what do you mean? I didn't have cancer that bad. Like I had this aggressive, horrible cancer. And he's like, but you were thankful every day. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad you thought that. Like, and he's my oldest. So he was seven. So he remembers a lot more. And I thought for him to think that I was think I was still thankful while I had cancer. Like, I actually couldn't believe he thought that because he saw the worst of the worst, but that's what his takeaway was. And I mean, that's like all I cared about was my kids. So I'm really happy to hear that his perspective of when I had cancer was that I was still thankful for things. Just like listening to you talk about your experience and, you know, you said like we've talked about, you were able to find those bright spots in your day. And there definitely were, it was a really hard situation that you were in and a hard journey. And for you looking back, what do you feel got you through those hard days? Um, and I know you've, you've said your kids, but how were you able to get yourself to continue to, cause your kids, I just like listening to you talk, they're obviously like a big part of your life, which duh, like my kids are too, but was that like a big thing for you to be able to stay positive, but like in the hard days, we all have them and we let ourselves cry. And when you were feeling like, I just got to let myself cry right now. And I just need Mm -hmm. to like, let that go. What worked for you to then like, be like, okay, I need to come back into this moment and remind myself, like focus on the present and like what's happening right here, right now. Or Maybe it was just like letting yourself have a good cry, but how did you face those harder days for you? 
So um, one of my friends, I, can, I think it was the same friend that I had met at the beginning, said to fake it to make it. And like, she's like, you can have a hard half a day, but don't have a hard full day. And if you end up having a hard full day, don't have a hard full two days. Um, so I try to like manage it that way. But um, I feel like I make things sound like rainbows and sunshine about it. But there was like a good, uh, there was like two weeks after I was done with AC. So I had had four of the dose dense chemos. I got really sick. And, my and I had a lot of steroids in me, like they had built up over time and I couldn't handle discontentment. Like that was really hard for me. And, um, so my vision would go out from chemo. It made my vision, um, blurred. So at the end of my eight weeks, my vision got so bad. I couldn't see my, um, I couldn't see my phone and I couldn't see the TV and I couldn't see a book to read. And my kids were at my parents' house. So it was just me and my husband. And um, there was like nothing I could do. And I also felt jittery and anxious because um, the steroids and the chemo and the exhaustion had hit, like I'd hit a wall with all of it. Um, so my husband, it was his birthday and it was like the worst birthday he's probably ever had. And then my birthday was the next day and it was the worst birthday I've ever had. And um, in those moments, it was so, he ended up um, reading me a smoothie recipe book because we have, I literally couldn't do anything. And I don't know, I think in those moments, like um, they were hard and like, I had to ask for help. Like that was like a huge thing. And, um, and I had to ask, I went, ended up going to my parents' house and actually ended up cried for like a week straight. So things weren't always great. And I, um, and I know I, I make it sound that way, but so, you get to a certain point though, sometimes when you need to ask for help. So I needed to call my oncologist and he prescribed some pretty heavy duty sleep aids and anxiety medicine, because when you get to a certain point, emotionally, you can't always turn it around if that makes sense. Um, most of the time I could um, turn it around and I would just look for as much good as I could. But, um, there were a few moments when I honestly couldn't handle it. And that was one of the moments. Um, another moment was after I was done with chemo, I had to do an additional six months of chemo because I didn't respond to IV chemo. It didn't drink my tumor all the way. And that was very devastating for me. Um, but another time I broke down in my oncologist office and it was really hard because I felt like everyone thought I was so, I was doing so well. Like you're done with chemo, your hair's growing back. You have some energy. Everyone like around me thought like I'm doing so well. And inside I was like falling apart because I was convincing myself that I had cancer again. I didn't have the support like I was used to because I was seeing my doctor once a week. So, and my nurses and people were visiting me all the time and my family was visiting me and it all kind of just stopped at the end of chemo but my I was able to process my emotions a little more but then the reality that cancer could come back was really strong so in that moment I started seeing a um, therapist and I think it's important to know that you can ask for help too you can't always fake it out of fake it you know as well um but the times like when I shaved my head, where my husband shaved my head, at first it was like, oh, I'm going to get through this. He cut my hair short. I'm in a pixie and I always had really long hair. And then he started shaving it and I couldn't look in the mirror. And I finally looked in the mirror and he's like, you look like a warrior. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, I look like a cancer patient. <laughs> like, I do not look like a warrior. And I couldn't speak. And he was like trying to talk to me about it. And I'm like, I just need a minute. So I went and started crying in the bathroom and I took a 20 minute shower and allowed myself 20 minutes to cry over my hair and realized it's just hair, which a lot of people don't feel that way. So I'm not minimizing that feeling, but for me, I just decided I needed to give myself my time to grieve it. And then I decided to just move on, but I don't know, that was long winded. That was like two parts, but. <laughs>
I love though that your husband said that to you. Yes. I was just going to say, it makes me think of the gloves that you had at the event. Can you speak a little bit about those? Oh yeah. They're so sweet. Um, so there's this organization called um, Fighting Fighting Pretty, I think. Fighting Pretty. And they, so now you have to, they used to send them to um, women that had, um, that were fighting breast cancer. And their whole motto is um, put these somewhere that you can look at. And when you're not feeling strong, remember that you're strong. And we, um, I have them hanging in my, um, in my van. And on the way to chemo and on the way to surgeries, the countless surgeries and procedures, I would look at them and be like, yes, I am strong enough to get through this. And the idea is that once you feel like you've gotten to a point where you, you are strong and you no longer need that encouragement, you can pass them on to somebody else. I don't feel that way yet. I, I kind of like cherish them. And I don't know if I'll ever feel that way as a survivor. I'll ever feel comfortable enough that I don't feel like I need reminders to be strong. But um, it was nice at your event that strangely someone else had a young woman woman had um, breast cancer, which is very rare to be under 40 in your early 30s to have breast cancer. And she was there and I'd brought with the gloves because I was trying to think of something to bring with to share with people, but I wasn't really sure what to bring with. And I was able to give the gloves to her. And I think that's kind of the beauty in, um, in the cancer community. You meet so many people and people like they get it. They can tell you how much it sucks and they can talk about, we can talk about the things you don't talk about with your friends, how you can be constipated in the morning and have diarrhea for 48 hours straight, six hours later. Like people don't talk about that, but everyone, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know how that's possible, but like the extremes of symptoms we can talk about and have that connection and uplift each other, no matter if you're on your first treatment and you meet someone, or if you've been out for five years, there's this connection. And I think it's really it's really great actually, because I've met so many wonderful people and so many people that are, I don't know, it's just nice to have a circle of people that get it because family members get, get it to an extent, but if you haven't gone through it, it's a little bit different. Like you can explain it, but without, it's, it's, it's not the same. It's, I mean, we, when someone we know close to us experiences cancer it affects the the others people not the person diagnosed in a different way mm-hmm. and to be the person going through that journey is very different and so i think like what you're talking about it was a really beautiful thing to see you connect with this other attendee and be able to have that and it was like so emotional for everybody and like it's a bunch of people that don't know each other and it was just cool to get to see just that instant bond of like I understand you Mm -hmm. and like I want you to know you are so strong and to see that between the two of you was really empowering I really want to just have you get to share the end of your journey because we've heard the beginning of being diagnosed and we've heard you navigate through the chemo but then when were you able to come to the other side and be able to say I'm a survivor of cancer so um the American Cancer Society says you're a survivor the day you're diagnosed because you're surviving and I absolutely hated the word survivor while I was in chemo like I felt like I was a fighter like I am fighting hardly surviving and um so mine is not usual for many people but um so I have the BRCA1 gene mutation so I that's probably why that is why I got triple negative breast cancer because I have a gene mutation and seven of my eight closest, um, my siblings and my aunt and my cousins have this genetic mutation. So they're all doing preventative care, either mastectomies or um, screenings. And uh, 
So part of that is I also have a 45% chance of getting ovarian cancer. So I do not, I like to have a plan, which I wasn't able to give, give much of a say during my cancer. Like I had to let go of my controlling. I know everything that's coming, but I was able to decide when I did surgeries and I was going to have my mastectomy and my hysterectomy done before the end of the year, because 2021 was going to be the best year ever. So, or 2020, sorry, 2020 was going to be the best year ever. And there wasn't going to be any surgeries and there was going to be no chemo and all these plans were going to be made. So I did my hysterectomy two weeks after I ended chemo and I recovered fairly well from that. And then I decided two weeks after that, I was going to do my mastectomy because of course, you know, you're, I'll be recovered from my hysterectomy by then enough to do this. So I did those two and I found out, um, half a week after my mastectomy that I didn't have a complete response to chemo. So basically that meant that I had residual tumor left, which nobody thought that my surgeon said she felt my tissue before she passed it on for pathology and felt nothing. Um, my doctor couldn't feel it anymore, my oncologist. And in that moment, I felt like I let everybody down. It was weird. Like I felt like I let people down because I felt so much pain and so much sadness and so much um, unknowns again. In that moment, I was like, yep, I'm going to die. Like, this is it. Like I have done the chemos and my body didn't respond to it. So I was like, so I was in a bad place. I thought like, I'm not being positive and everyone expects me to be positive because I'm typically positive and I'm feeling very negative right now. And um, again, the unknowns are worse than the knowns. And uh, I was able to go on six more months of chemo after that um, of oral chemo. So I could take it at home. And I regained some strength, like some um, energy because it was not as severe as the AC. And I had had a month off of chemo to get my body kind of, um, give my body a little recovery. So at the beginning of the oral chemo, it was a little bit better. And then I basically crashed at the end. But after the six months of chemo, um, my body was like, like fed up with everything I was doing. And I was like super sick with GI issues. And they thought they saw, um, something on my gallbladder, on my gallbladder, uh, gallbladder and something on a different area. I can't remember where. So that they were thinking it was probably cancer, but at that time I was so tired. I didn't really care. Like, okay, I'll come in and have another procedure. Okay. I'll come do this. I'll do that. Um, but after I was done with all that and I had a colonoscopy and I really think getting my body flushed out of everything <laughs> from the medication reset my body. And I started to feel better after that. And, uh, um, and then I decided because I can't sit still and I thought we needed to make up for lost time. We, we went camping like a week after, two weeks after I was done with chemo. And we basically had a drive from each state park to each state park. And I could do like a fourth of a mile walk. And then we had to go back in the car and drive to another state park on the North shore. Cause they're all so close together. And I had to take naps, which you don't normally take naps when your kids are that little and you're camping, but that's what we did. And then the following summer, well, we did a mommy beats cancer trip, which was, we hung up Legoland on a board in our house when I was first diagnosed. And I told the kids when I am better, we are going, but keep in mind COVID hit. It kind of was over, it crossed with my cancer, but we were gifted a trip to Florida through an organization. So we went during COVID and we just were super safe and um, at the beginning of COVID. So that was kind of like our big moment. Like I beat cancer. I'm going to go on the roller coaster rides, even though I cannot stand them, but I will do it for you guys. And we just kind of embraced the moment. And it was just nice to have a family, some family time together um, in very, um, it was very focused family time too because we were in Florida and we're trying to avoid people a little bit since we didn't want COVID and um, we did that. And then the next summer I was like, we missed out on everything. So we went on two big vacations and a bunch of camping trips and we overdid it and we were vacationed out and 
I will never try and do that many things in one summer again, but <laughs> I was just like, we're going to Colorado and we're going to South Dakota and we're going to sleep in a yurt and then we're going to go tent camping. And it was too much. It was, I, I understand now, but, um, we were just trying to just make up for lost time, I guess, or create a whole bunch of memories, even though you can create memories at home, which I get, but I just wanted to do all the things that I missed out on, but how, yeah. how does it feel now for you to be where you are today? Uh-huh. Well, I will say that most of the time I do really well. Like emotionally, I feel like I do super well. Um, except the first year was really difficult for me. I kept thinking I had reoccurrences time after time. Like I'd have this ache in my side and I'm like, I need to go in or I had gotten a really bad headache. And so I'm in the ER and they're like, you better do a brain scan because brain tumors are really common with, they're not really common, but they happen to triple negative. So I had those moments that I had to overcome. And I would say after the first year, so I'm in year two of um, survivorship. And um, this year has been a lot better. Like I feel a lot better emotionally, like I can handle things. Now that's not to say, like two days ago, I had a weird shooting pain in my leg and I thought, oh gosh, is that cancer? Like those thoughts are always going to be in the back of my mind. There's no, that's never going to go away. Um, but I don't know, it feels good to not have cancer at the top of my thoughts all the time, if that makes sense. Because someone had said to me, like, not everything is about cancer. And this was in my first year of recovery or of, like survival. And in my mind, yes, everything is about cancer. Like in that moment, everything was still about cancer for me. It was consuming my thoughts. And now it's more, it's in my thoughts. Like I'll think about it often, but it's not controlling my thoughts as it had at one time. And it's very, um, and I will say, because most survivors feel this way, if, if I have an ache or a pain, I am going to, it's going to consume me because that's just how it works. If I have, like one time I went in because I thought I had another lump and with implants, since I have implants for my double mastectomy, there's not like fat, like the, there's not really much of a barrier because they're like saline implants. And um, so, but you can feel like the rib bones. So they're like, yeah, that's your rib bone. I was like, okay, well, thanks. Now I can go on with my day. Like I needed, I needed to know that what I was feeling was not cancer again. Um, but I had like weird rib pain not too long ago, probably a couple months ago. And it was like unexplained. So I had to have, um, like had a bone scan. And I remember just waiting for the results thinking, okay, it's back. Cause it doesn't really go away. Like those fears don't go away. Um, because the fears are honestly valid. Um, I have a 35% chance of reoccurrence within the first three years. My oncologist, since I'm not a statistic, like we talked about, said my chances are most likely a lot less than that. Um, the Zolota might've brought it down like five or 10%, the chemo I did Zolota, but um, I, I know the statistics, so I'm not, I don't like, I don't make myself about the statistics, but I know they're out there. So that fear is still there a little bit, but um, I don't know. It's nice. Like I have a job now, which is kind of, I've been a stay-at-home mom and now I kind of started working, which is kind of nice to have energy to do that. Um, and like I said, my kids and I wrote this cute, like super cute um, children's book. And we're just, um, we're like, it's all about joy. Cause that's like, was our motto. And um it's been like super therapeutic to work with them and see what their perspectives were because we talk about cancer, but it was like nice to look at how can we help people now? And they, they had really good ideas, like things I wouldn't have thought of. And um, it's nice to be in the positive most of the time. Mm, I love that. And you had, I don't know if you realized your choose joy sign was like above you for part of it too so um 
I think that's amazing. And I, I feel you creating something with your family is going to help so many other families, especially with young kids that are going through this similar situation that you've been on. Um, And when you were talking about just being able to know that like the fears are valid, but also allowing yourself to come back to that present moment until you have the information versus focusing Mm -hmm. on the information that we don't have. I have my last question for you, which is my favorite question to ask. And I've been saying that a lot lately, but it's true because (laughs) it's so fun to hear people's thoughts, but it is, what is the ripple that you want to create? Oh, I love that. Um, cause I love your podcast idea, like the creating ripples. I think that's so, um, so important. And, you know, I think honestly, there's like so many things that I hope are ripples, but just, um, educating people on what, um, cancer really is like how it affects people, especially young people, since I wouldn't have known, um, I have like, I am like such an open book and I have no filter. Like, I don't really care if people know that I was scared about a rib bone. Like, that's just like, that's like a normal fear that a lot of cancer people have that they're not going to share with people because people are like, what you went in for a rib bone paint, like a rib bone lump, like that's your ribs. And it's like, that was an unknown feeling for me. And the, it was scary. And, um, I think it's, it's just been I don't know if nice, nice isn't the right word, but being able to um, share my story for those that have never been close enough or been with someone um, that has shared their whole like cancer experience. So I just really like that I'm able to get some education out there. And it also has really, um, it's helped raise some money, which is really nice for cancer research. And then my kids and I, like I said, we're hoping to create this book it's in the process, uh, but the publishing world is just bonkers. So who knows, but, um, trying to get in with a publisher is they get hundreds of, um, submissions a month. So the likelihood of having an actual publisher pick it up is pretty low, but having, um, self-publishing is probably the route we'll go. And we hope to donate books to angel foundation and other groups. So the books can get into the hands of kids because our, I want my kids to learn the ripple, obviously with my kids is to have empathy for others and kindness for others. And we wanna give back in a way. And I want them to know that that's important to me and I hope it's important to them. So I'm hoping twofold, the education piece about what people have, what people go through with cancer, but also just like the small ripple of my kids, hoping they create big ripples themselves later on with, um, just the empathy for others and kindness for others since we were given so much kindness and empathy like beyond words every single day uh, someone would reach out to me so I want my kids to be those people one day I want them to be that now with their friends and I know they're still developing but I hope when they're adults that that's like a huge lesson that they teach their kids and we just continue helping others and seeking to understand others in different ways and um I don't know I just that's just like a big thing for me I want my kids to be kind humans I always say be a kind human you know I'm always joking like don't make your teacher cry at school they're like why would we do that mom I'm like I'm just joking like just be make- yeah. it's a, it's a great ripple is you know informing people that either are in like chemo right now or have been in chemo and they can relate to your story or someone listening knows somebody that's been diagnosed or just was diagnosed it's Mm -hmm. the more we can have these conversations it helps us all to have a better understanding of where people have been how we can support them how we can show up and how we all can be kind humans and you are definitely creating ripples in that sense and I would love for my listeners to be able to get connected with you can you let me know how they can do that and also with your um company that you have on Instagram too oh yes uh so I'm I'll first say that I don't understand Instagram I'm trying to 
I don't know. I'm posting pictures on there. I don't really even know what I'm doing. So there is an Instagram and I don't even know what the name is. So that's how bad I am. I'll link it for you. Okay. I'll have to figure out how to send you it because I'm so bad with Instagram, but I have, um, so I have my first name, my last name, and then, so Carissa Bates, comma, conquering, uh, conquer cancer author on Facebook. And then, uh, um, my friend and I, um, run busy moms need Jesus um, page. And that's like just uplifting for busy moms because we're all hot messes and we just like embracing that and adding some Jesus in when we, in, in between the madness. And um, so those are my two pages. And um, I have a Kickstarter going, but I also have a love hate relationship with Kickstarter. I don't know why I did it, but um, that's up for supporting the book if people want to donate um, to um, donate a book to someone or if they want a book themselves I have an adult book coming out which um, is in the works and then my kids book which has become more my passion because I love bright happy pictures and stuff and the kids kids illustrations are just really fun so um, I have that which I don't know how you find that either I think you type in standstill into kickstarter see I don't I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll make sure I get the right links <laughs> and I'll link them for you. Yes. I promise. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't, I'm so bad with technology. That's okay. That is totally okay. Chris, it's been so awesome getting to have you on the podcast, have you share your story with everyone that's listening and create ripples out into the world and to everybody listening, keep showing up, make sure you share this episode out with anyone else that you think would need to hear it, which in my opinion, everyone should hear this because I'm sure most of us, if not all of us have known someone that's been diagnosed with cancer. And so the more we can educate and have these honest, honest and tough conversations, it's only going to help more and more people. So until next time, let's go out and start creating ripples. Mm -hmm.